Welcome to Lost in the Movies. This episode covers the film Holy Motors, a French film from about almost 10 years ago. I saw it about five or six years after that. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this film, please let me know via email and comments on the podcast, comments on my site, etc. My site, of course, is lostinthemovies.com. I'm going to give you a quick update on what's been going on there and some of my other spots online before we begin. So first off, I put up a couple videos on uh, YouTube and Vimeo called Journey Through Twin Peaks in 2022 and more. This talks about my plans for the next year and a half, what I'm going to work on, what's going to be coming out, and how I'm building my way back to more uh, chapters in my video series, Journey Through Twin Peaks. So you can check that out for an audiovisual guide through that process. I also uh, started publishing daily images and bi-weekly video clips on my Twitter accounts, Lost in the Movies, at Lost in the Movies is one of them. Um, that's where I tweet out some of my film stuff, but also a lot of um, left-wing political stuff, so fair warning. And uh, on my account, at Journey Peaks, which is for Journey Through Twin Peaks, focusing on Twin Peaks stuff. So on uh, Mondays, I've, been putting, I've started putting up uh, clips of uh, video essays on um, Lost in the Movies account, or, or sorry, on the Journey Through Twin Peaks account. And then on uh, Wednesday mornings, I'm going to be putting up video clips from essays that I've made on like other films and shows. And I find when you present the material that way, where it's just the clip, it's usually automatically playing. You got to look right at it. You don't have to click play and go through the link as you sometimes do with YouTube and Vimeo. It's kind of a more fun way to engage. So I started doing that. And plus, as mentioned, the images every day from my site, random images for Lost in the Movies and uh, ones from my video essay for Journey Through Twin Peaks. That's been fun. You can follow that stuff there if you want to a daily bite. And on my site, I also updated my uh, picture gallery where I have screenshots um, from all my pieces over a dozen years, just interesting images, either my own or sometimes uh, not screenshots, but like posters, even paintings and stuff like that. And then also I updated my top post page where I highlight certain, in this case, certain patron podcasts I made in the past few years that I wanted to uh, show there. So I'll link all both of those uh, directories below. And then for new posts on the site, I put up, I continued my Mad Men viewing diary through season four, episodes eight and nine on The Summer Man and The Beautiful Girls. Um, the latter of which in particular, I think is a pivotal episode for some stuff that, um, well, I won't say more than that, because I'm watching this for the first time, and you may be reading along with it, watching the series for the first time. Uh, I'm now a little bit ahead of what I'm publishing. So that's how I can say it's an important episode. And then finally on my site, I also published The Path Back to Journey Through the Peaks, which is a specific guide through all those steps that I outlined in that video that I'm going to keep updating. And actually, the day I'm recording this is the day that that's officially beginning. So after this podcast is assembled, I'm jumping right in with a Citizen Kane video essay that's uh, the first thing I'll be working on on that long path. So you can check out all those links below. And now let's move on to Holy Motors. Qu'est-ce qui vous pousse à continuer, Oscar Pour la beauté du geste. La beauté. On dit qu'elle est dans l'œil. Dans l'œil de celui qui regarde. Alors si personne ne regarde plus... Who were we? Who were we? When we were, who we were? Back then. Who were we? 
Motors is both an anthology of shorts and an inventively stitched together feature film. And that's one of the things I found most interesting about it. You know, if, if you've heard some of my thoughts on anthology type films before, the Decalogue, um, even to an extent, uh, you know, Citizen Kane, I, I sometimes see as an anthology film. I'm fascinated not just by the individual units, but the way that they're pieces of a whole. And so in Holy Motors, we have a figure uh, actor, I guess, although it's never quite clear what his social role is. And he rides around in a limousine from place to place, changing costume, putting on makeup, changing his hair and wigs and things like that, and reading a little dossier with a profile of whoever he's becoming and then becoming that character. It's as if he's going from film shoot to film shoot except there's no cameras. Nobody else seems to be in on the conceit. He bites somebody's finger off. It's not like a prosthetic. He's actually biting somebody's finger off. And this is a a surreal fantasy, essentially, where there are some basic rules of the game so that the film can follow a certain path, but those rules are pretty loosey-goosey and they don't bear much relation to physical reality. You just kind of go for the ride. The scenarios that he enacts are, first, a old uh, woman bent over begging for money on a bridge then he goes to a large industrial high-tech tower and uh, I think takes maybe a blood sample to get into the door it's that high you know it's that secure and once he's inside he has a uh, costume on with motion sensors all over it and he does a sort of a motion capture uh, thing uh, where he's running around with a sword and a gun and uh, running on a treadmill. And then at one point, a woman comes in with a red skin-tight suit on. They mimic making love with the motion sensors on, and the camera pans over, and you see on the screen these large serpent creatures uh, that are responding to their movements. And then the following sequence is probably the most famous in the film. It's certainly the only one... um, Except to an extent, I had seen some pictures of the motion capture sequence, but this was really the scene that I saw advertised whenever I saw anything about Holy Motors, because I didn't know very much about this film, but I did know there was a weird werewolf-looking character who was running around, and people were staring at him as he, like, chewed things up. And sure enough, that's this character. He's known as Merd, and uh, he crawls out of a sewer. I think the New York Times called him something like a uh, decrepit leprechaun or something. And uh, I know that's not it, but it's something to do with leprechaun. And uh, he races through a cemetery where, amusingly enough, all the tombstones have uh, visit my website within a website on it, uh, which I'll have to make sure to put on my tombstone someday. He runs across a photo shoot with Eva Mendez as the model and the photographer wants to photograph it as a beauty and the beast type thing and uh, he just bites off the assistant's finger grabs Eva Mendez and she doesn't protest or anything he just takes her down into a sewer and then he kind of like dresses her up puts like a veil over her and is walking around and then he is you know lying against her kind of lie or lying putting his head on her lap while he's naked and 
That seems to be about the extent of their uh, <laughs> semi-sexual liaison. And then after this, he changes completely into a fairly nondescript, ordinary man who picks up his daughter from a party and finds out she's lying to him about enjoying herself. And in fact, she hid in the bathroom the whole time. And he's kind of angry at her and says, your punishment is you have to be yourself. Unconventionally harsh, but harsh nonetheless, uh, parental treatment. And then after this, he... Uh, and I may be losing a little bit of the order here. There's an entr'acte where he uh, goes around playing instruments and is joined by other people playing instruments. And then there's a scene where he is a bald assassin who uh, goes into a warehouse, kills somebody, cuts that person's beard off, changes them into their clothes. You see it's the same actor, so some kind of doppelganger. And then he is stabbed by the victim. And when he comes out of that warehouse, you're like, well, which one was it? The one he stabbed? The one who who went in to stab? And you know, it's, it's one of those questions you can't really answer and you're not supposed to be able to answer. He also goes on to play uh, or inhabit a dying old man whose niece is caring for him and they're weeping as he's dying. And then he gets up and very casually says goodbye to the woman who this is one of the few indications of, oh, yes, they're all actors. There's a long sequence where he walks around with Kylie Minogue in an abandoned department store, which is a pretty gorgeous set, a real place that's just this empty, multi-floor department store with mannequins lying everywhere and an incredible rooftop view of, uh, I believe, the Eiffel Tower and Notre Dame. And she jumps off the roof and he's devastated by this and then finally he goes to a suburban house and we realize the house he came out of at the beginning wasn't like his home it's not like he lived there and now he's going out to act all day and then going back to his real life that too was clearly just one place one stop along this never-ending round delay of of different parts to play and so finally he goes to the suburban house and it seems like one of the most normal locations he calls to his wife and his daughters we see him embrace his wife and his daughter in the kitchen, through the window, and their chimpanzees, of course. He goes up to the look out the window with his chimpanzee family, and all's, all's well that ends well. And then the woman who's been driving around all day, who's obviously affectionate towards him, but also very professional, she pulls into a garage with a whole bunch of other limousines, and the garage is called Holy Motors, so... There's some angelic implication to these cars driving around everywhere. And she puts on a mask, which I didn't get at the time. And I realized later, or I was you know, told later by a special feature on the DVD, this is actually the actress who starred in Georges Franju's horror film, Eyes Without a Face. A nod back to her early starring role in that film in, in 1960. And I'm sure there's some other connotations to it as well that I just didn't quite pick up on, to be honest. And she walks away and the limousines all talk to each other with blinking lights and a voiceover. So that's it. That's a long summary of, a f of the film, but it's kind of hard to discuss unless you really dig into all of those different corners of the narrative. It reminded me in many ways of a couple other films I've watched recently, Spirited Away and The Lobster. And what all those films have in common to me is they all create these strange worlds and these seemingly very arbitrary rules, which they then force themselves to follow. Leo Carax is the filmmaker who uh, made three films in the 80s, and only one film after that, and this was like his first film in, I think, 15 years or something like that. It came out in 2012. I'm not sure what he's done since then. This decade's just the lost decade of, of cinema for me. I remember this coming out. I remember all the discussion on Twitter around it. And uh, I had a nagging suspicion that it was actually six or seven years ago, but I was still kind of surprised when I looked up the date and was like, yep, yeah, this came out in 2012, way back when, and I'm just catching up to it now. 
There's a fascinating article, which I'll link below in the New York Times, which I think provides some interesting context for this. This was a film, as I watched it, I enjoyed going along for the ride, but I felt like I was missing like some extra cinematic connotations in a way. I haven't seen any of Carax's other films. I haven't seen Lovers on the Bridge, which I think might arguably be his most famous film, or else maybe Mauvais Song, which I actually don't even know anything about. I did see part of Lovers on the Bridge, or scenes from it, it was discussed in the Mark Cousins documentary story of film, which came out right before this this film. So I have like the slightest passing familiarity, but really this shows up a blind spot I think I have of post-70s European film. There's a ton of 50s, 60s, 70s European filmmakers that I love and followed their work during that period. But post-70s, maybe even starting to an extent post-60s, I just don't have that much context for some of this. So it was odd watching the film. There was sort of a reverie for something in a way that I was not myself familiar with. And there was almost compressed feeling where in my familiarity with film history, the past 30 years get squished together in a way because of these earlier filmmakers who I have focused on. And so I tend to think of like, oh, somebody made a film in the 80s. There's still like a young filmmaker. He goes, well, well, no, of course not. I mean, they were making a film when I was... Born. They're, they're now well into middle age, if not older. So watching this film, it was like all this time has, has passed and now missed out on about 20 years of filmmaking. And the article has some interesting quotes about the transition to digital. It's a great uh, statement where he says, you know, to me, it's like the pharmaceutical industry manufacturing all this medicine and then trying to sell it for no reason. Like, why did we have to go to digital? I, I don't get it. What, what ill are we replacing? And of course, you could have a discussion of that. <laughs> It's kind of worth considering in a way. And this was his first digital film, and it feels like a very digital film um, between that whole sequence with the motion capture, but also just the texture of the film. It doesn't have that vividness of film. And I've talked about this before when reviewing some movies shot on celluloid in the past 10 years and how they almost have this like sunset feel, like you're watching the glorious sunset of the medium and it all seems brighter and more vivid than it ever did before when you took it for granted, but it, it's going away. And so this is, this has a foot in that new world and it's sort of unmoored, very, you know, could easily be called postmodern. It was fun watching this because I realized I saw certain parallels, you know, things I could relate to, like I already said, things that relate to other films where you have the lobster, these characters living by these codes that seem totally arbitrary and made up because they are, but that's what structures this very fanciful film, instigates an arch -rike. Uh, tone to the whole to the whole film where it's humorous but it's not a comedy but I saw certain things to relate to just in my own experience in a way this feels like a very appropriate film for the 2010s where I think as I mentioned with the lobster there's this sort of gig economy where people are going from job to job to job and they have to be ready for the next thing immerse themselves in that moment and then they're on to the next thing and it's exhausting and unmoored and they long for familiarity they had in the past that's literally what this character is doing we don't know who's paying him or why but he has all these different jobs he has to go to and there's almost no home life the neoliberalization of uh of of the personal life where everything now is uh part of this pro larger process you know you don't have a, a life where your boss can't reach you your phone is off or whatever you're always on call and he's he's kind of like that in this and there's a freedom that comes with that and also a sense of oppression and uh, being trapped. Now, in the sense of freedom, what that means is that this character is able to inhabit different modes in a way most people don't get to. 
And there's something liberating about that, especially for somebody who's an actor. I think this was a dream for uh, Denis Levant, who played the character, to be able to inhabit all these different characters within this framework and go from person to person. And the film was actually born out of the director's desire to know more about these homeless women who were on the bridge, inspired that first character. And how could he really understand them from this different world? And then he came up with the idea of creating them or going into that uh, experience. And then out of that, this idea of this character who goes into all these different experiences and inhabits them completely. And so that's exciting. And what it reminded me of, humorously enough, for me, it reminds me of watching all these different movies where different people have suggested films. And I've gone and watched the film and thought about what I had to say to it, what I was bringing to it, but what what it was bringing to me. And there's been very different movies. So it's like switching into these different modes. And for me, it's particularly striking because so much of the past few years has been spent on Twin Peaks and in that single world, however multifaceted it is. So this has been kind of a fun adventure for me for the past six months to be going into these different movie worlds, um, watching the film, thinking about what I have to say to it, about it, and then moving on to the next one and doing so sort of based on these commissions. I guess in closing, thank you for letting for being the, the holy motors of this podcast and uh, giving me something to do week to week. Thank you for listening, and I would invite you, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing. You can also donate on Patreon, become a patron, and get access to hundreds of hours of extra podcast material that I've been releasing there since 2018, some of which I present in this public podcast, but a lot of which just kind of remains there in that in that patron zone. So check that out if you're interested in more. And here is a preview of what I will be uh, presenting next week. This is going to be part of my uh, Left of the Movies series, where I cover films with a political uh, subject. And this, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save that discussion for next week. I was going to say a little more about my thoughts about it. But uh, I'll just say the name of the film. It's High Rise, because this clip probably wouldn't tell you out of context. It's a British satire about a uh, high-rise apartment building. So here's a bit of that. A free enterprise system is a necessary but not a sufficient condition. There is only one economic system in the world, and that is capitalism. The difference lies in whether the capital is in the hands of the state or whether the greater part of it is in the hands of people outside of state control. (laughs) 